With stations all over the U.S., North America, Puerto Rico, Guam, and by satellite, we are Coast to Coast AM. I'm Connie Willis. Please find me at ConnieWillis.com. I would love for you to join my shows. I thank so many of you that have joined my shows and uh, are experiencing the when we go up into the Colorado Rockies or we go to a haunting of some sort and you are a part of the live investigation. I mean, not only am I there doing something or maybe sometimes somebody else is is at the location and I'm kind of doing the, uh, you know, in the studio kind of thing, guiding it along the way. There's so many of you that are in the live chat and just the abilities that you have, the psychic abilities that they have, uh, it's its really amazing how we come together and we uh, kind of talk about what's there, what's happening, and it just comes alive. So if you're interested in something like that, my show is called Blue Rock Talk. That's the one you'll want to enjoy, it, it, enjoy, to, to enjoy and join. If you're into just sitting around talking with other people, having fun, whatever it might be. That's Connie after dark. And I'd love for you to join that too. The The money for that actually goes for blue rock talk research. It's real research. It's the real deal. We're out there. I'm not about measuring this and measuring that I'm more about the experience of it and the communication. And if that sounds like it's up your alley, then you'll love that. Also, Connie Willis, the podcast, I haven't done it in a while, but I'm about to do it again. I'm getting a new computer, so production will be so much easier. I'm so excited about that. Yay, it's on order and it's coming my way. And also the book, Win Any Lottery, is out there. If you are good with a pendulum, well, this will help you to pick the winning numbers for lotteries, the numbered lotteries. I think you'll enjoy it. If you are a pendulum person and you, you, I know people that use a pendulum to make every decision in their life. I mean, even what to buy at the grocery store. If that's you, holy cow, you just might hit the jackpot. And I hope that you tell me if that happens. So learn more and all that at ConnieWillis.com. Open lines happening now, and Dr. Jeffrey Long, our guest for tonight, is going to stick around for an hour and answer your questions. Jeff, is there anything else that you want to say that you didn't get to say yet before we start taking calls? No, I think we've really, it's been a great show, a lot of discussion about near-death experience, including some leading-edge research that we've talked about. Um, You know, I would have to say that what we've talked about, near-death experience and its powerful evidence for the reality of an afterlife, is uh, perhaps the most powerful positive message for all of humanity that is even conceivable. So uh, very good news that we're bringing forward here. But gosh, Connie, let's go ahead and take some questions and see what comes. Let's do it. First-time caller, Robert, out of San Antonio. San Antonio! I was at KISS and KOOL for a very short time, but I was there, Robert. So welcome. You're on the air. Thank you for taking my call, Connie. Um, Dr. Long, um, I will get your response off the air, but um, I was just wondering. I do believe in the near-death experiences that it happens to people, but I also believe that once we actually pass, we go to one place or another, and tonight as you were talking about the people that you've heard about, you've interviewed out of the hundreds, they've all talked about love and light and peace. My question is when it comes to people like Hitler, Dahmer, Bundy, I can't see them passing away and having love and light surround them. 
So I guess my question is, have you ever spoke to anybody who has had a negative experience? And yeah, good question. Take your response yeah. off the air. Yeah, good question, Robert. These are all people, near-death experiences are like uh, normal, everyday people. We obviously haven't had anybody have a life-threatening event, a near-death experience that was like a Hitler or Dahmer. So I'd have to say we don't absolutely know. We're, we're based on near-death experiences shared by people that, like the great majority of people on Earth, are, are decent, uh, reasonably loving people. Of course, they may have their, their shortcomings, but they're nothing like a Hitler or Dahmer. So I think that's some, uh, you know, we don't really know. I think certainly we're responsible and accountable for our actions in the afterlife. And I think for the Hitlers and the Dahmers and the people that are profoundly antisocial, it may be a bit of a rough go. Uh, the frightening, even hellish near-death experiences, while they've been reported, are very rare. Uh, even in my 4,000 experiences that I have, there's only a couple dozen that are clearly documented as being awareness or encountered of, of with a truly hellish realm. So from the near-death experiences, those seem to exist, but I think that's only for the, uh, as best I can tell, and it gets this getting into speculation, uh, seems to be for the extreme of humanity being antisocial. Have you had any type of um, findings of something similar to like purgatory? Yeah, that's a good question. The uh, there has been uh, many, you know, many near-death experiences talk about what's called like a void. There seems to be, and it's not frightening. It's sort of, there's just an, an emptiness. And they often will describe feeling loving or feeling that, you know, like that maybe they'll see a light in the distance, but it's not, it's not like other near-death experiences where there's often other spiritual beings around them or a beautiful unearthly realm. I mean, so beautiful. I mean, like they often describe colors that are beautiful beyond anything on earth. So those are much more common. Uh, you kind of wonder if these void experiences are like a purgatory. It's sort of like an in-between, a waiting area, if you will. So, again, I think with near-death experiences, there's so many variety of things described uh, that, that I think at least some of what's described could certainly fit the concept of purgatory. West of the Rockies, let's talk to Gina Marie out of Washington State. Hi there, Gina. You're on the air. Hello. Um, peace and love and healing and God bless to everyone and everything everywhere. Thank you. Um, I, I want to tell a quick story and then um, and ask the doctor a question at the end. Um, so I had a friend, Scott, who was dying, and he was so afraid to die. And so I um, ended up going to him every night after work, and I'd stayed with him a few hours for a week. Um, and then the first night that I went there, he greeted me with, a, do you want a balloon? That's important for the end of the story. But um, he then expressed his fear of dying to me. And um, I told him that it's a beautiful, loving experience and um, that he would be encompassed in pure energy love and white light and that his animals would greet him first and then his relatives and friends. Um, so every night when I went to him, he would ask me to tell him, um, tell him about it again, tell him what would happen. And I did. It was almost like telling a bedtime story to somebody. And the last night I went, I knew he was going to die that night. I'm kind of intuitive myself. And um, so I stayed the whole night into the morning. And about two hours before he died, he said, oh, it's so bright. And I said, are you seeing the white light, honey? And he said, it's so very bright. And I said, see, I told you that would happen. And then one hour before he died, he started talking to someone. 
I waited, and then I asked him who he was talking to, and he said his grandma. And I said, see, I told you you'd be greeted by your loved ones. And, of course, he was no longer afraid. And an hour after that, I talked him over to the other side, straight into heaven. And when I um, got home, I when I finally went home, um, I went into my bathroom, and I turned on my angel nightlight. And I looked down on the floor, and there was a balloon he had left me on my floor. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to say it's like the most beautiful, loving thing that you can do for another person. And I wanted to ask you and the doctor, have you ever had a bittersweet blessing of verbally walking anyone to the other side to heaven? Oh, wow. You know, Gina, thanks for sharing that incredible story. Scott, so fortunate as he died that he had such a loving presence as you. I've never had any, you know, actually been talking through someone as you did with Scott. So that's just beautiful. The uh, What Scott was visualizing at the end, the light and talking with a deceased loved one, uh, these are reported in what's called deathbed visions. And there's quite a few of these reported. They're certainly real. They're part of that spiritual spectrum. So uh, that's certainly really, for, I think for many people dying, as, as you noticed, Gina, part of the transition in a, in a very loving a uh, wonderful thing that can help calm people down and, and open them up to the reality of being reunited with their deceased loved ones. And that balloon you described, geez, Gene, I almost had uh, goosebumps. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, well, you know, we, <laughs> there's a, a sort of in the spectrum of what we call after-death communications. In other words, that can be how the deceased, or there's a communication of the deceased lovingly reached out, it's sort of like that hello from that afterlife, and it can be expressed in a variety of ways. That balloon is just awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, so nice. That was Gina Marie. Let's go east of the Rockies and talk with Robert out of New York City, out of the city. Hey there, Robert. Oh, he has left. Let's go to, uh, let's go up to wildcard line number two. Talk to Janice out of Washington State. Hey there, Janice. How are you? Hi, Connie. Just fine. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Long. Uh, I've really been enjoying the program, and for years I've been studying the near-death, well, not really studying, but reading books on the near-death experience, and I think it's a wonderful thing to know because it's so much easier when a loved one is on their way to, I think it makes you less, um, you know, sad about somebody going when they know where they're going. And back on July of 11th, I think it was 2012, we had a Brian Belitzos on interviewing him. He was talking about the Urantia book, and um, I got that after that interview, and it answered so many questions uh, that I think you've been talking about tonight. I think, you know, the Christian religion was established on... Uh, when Jesus was telling the disciples about what's going to happen after death and even proved it when he died and came back. And Mm -hmm. we are humans having a spiritual experience here on earth, not, or no, we're not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spirits having a human experience. And I think that when people realize that life goes on and that we aren't going to die, it's going to make life so much easier. Oh, absolutely. And Janice, I'm going to highlight that very important concept again. We really are spirits having a human experience. And I think that's an important perspective to keep, Janice, exactly like you said, when you encounter loved ones that have life-threatening illnesses or die, 
Uh, I mean, they may reduce the grief a little bit, but it's certainly, in the bigger picture of things, highly reassuring in the long run. Uh, we're all going to be back together. We're all part of that afterlife, just like you said. When we were talking about uh, the magic, the soul that is in the body and and has you walking around in this vehicle that we have and moving around and having fun and having this experience, have you ever no- have you guys noticed ever that when the person does die, even if they come back, you know, they're gone, they come back, is there any change in the weight of the person? Right. That was a, a thinking of some years ago. In fact, there was even some efforts at weighing the physical body. And the bottom line is with with several investigations of that, there really is no weight of loss. I mean, there would be like loss of water vapor, which could affect like maybe a few grams. But really the bottom line is the soul is immaterial, and when it departs from the physical body, it has zero weight, zero at all. I mean, it's part mm-hmm. of a non-physical afterlife realm. So not surprisingly, modern studies find absolutely no change physically in the weight of the body. And yet, importantly, that immaterial part of the of the body, the soul, uh, that's what goes on. The it, weight doesn't prove it. It's just the numerous counts that we're getting from near-death experiencers and from other spiritual experiences. Well, that soul magically makes the body do what it does, you know, just, you know, like I'm moving my arms over here and everything, and that's because I got that soul going on there. As soon as it's gone, the body just stops. It just stops and yeah, and stiffens yeah. up, and that's it. Yeah, it's that's it. like a doll. It's not real. And, and And yet when the soul goes on, very important concept, you know, a lot of people worry, well, it, when we die, when we go to the afterlife, well, what about, I mean, we have we had a personality, we have a self-identity. That's all part of the soul. The soul is incorporated and part of all of our life's experiences. I mean, that's why in near-death experiences, there's so-called life review, where you can see a part or even all of your prior life. That's us. That's part of ourselves eternally. So who we are, everything in our earthly life is part of that soul that lives eternally. Wildcard line number one, Roberta out of Tucson, Arizona. Hey there, you are on the air with Coast to Coast AM. Thank you. If a person is married more than once to a spouse that has been married more than once, who gets together with who in the afterlife? Yeah, uh, you know, that's a, a very interesting question, Robert, and we touched on that earlier in this evening's discussion. The In the afterlife, it's, it's completely different. It's a non-physical realm, and yet it's far more loving. There's far more unity or connection of everyone and everything. So as best I can tell from near-death experiences, that's simply not an issue. We're all loved. We're all loved equally in the afterlife. I mean, here in, it, it's a difficult concept here on Earth where you have a special loved one, and there's sort of a concept you can only love one person on Earth specially. Rules are all different in the afterlife. Everybody is loved. Everybody is loved equally. There's no stepchilds in the afterlife. I mean, we're, uh, however many marriages you had, there were or how many spouses there were, they're all going to be okay with each other. They're all going to be together in a very positive, sharing, loving environment in the afterlife. 
Good questions. I'm telling you, we got some really good questions. Let's go to wildcard line number three and talk to Paul out of Niagara Falls, Canada. Hello. Um, uh, First of all, I want to thank uh, Dr. Long for all his work. I can't believe there's someone doing this kind of stuff. Uh, And I'm speaking as a a widower for four years now. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, you can imagine where I'm coming from when I say that. Um, I... I had two questions, really, and, and a guy earlier co- talked about Hitler, and um, my question was about more about judgment. Like, when when we cross over, and I know we have this life review. I've heard much about that, and we kind of, like, judge ourselves in that life review. Like, we feel a lot of shame. We feel a lot of guilt. Is there – has anyone come back from a, a – um, a, um, a near-death experience and talked about the kind of judgment that evangelical Christians talk about. Like, for example, if you didn't believe in Jesus, or if you didn't believe in the word of Jesus, then you you don't get to go to heaven, that kind of thing. And my second question is uh, totally unrelated to that. Earlier, we you were talking about animals and, um, and pets, and I'm wondering... Uh, this might be a bit of a difficult question to answer because maybe even Dr. Long, you've never uh, considered this, but how far down the line does does it go in terms of life? I mean, we have animals, but then we also have like insects, and then you can go down even further into cells, and you can go down even further into bacteria. And I'm wondering, like, do these all have souls? Is, is there any evidence that uh, I, I think I heard that our bodies have something like seven trillion cells or something. So when we die, does, does this, are there seven trillion souls that go up to heaven or something like that? Uh, and anyway, that's and a bit Jeff, of a ridiculous question. No, all good. But Jeff, as you answer, we only have like a minute, so if you can. Okay, good questions, Paul. I'll have to do it quick. Um, in in a life review, there's uh, as in other parts of near death experience, essentially never. A sense of judgment. Uh, the judgment is the near-death experience for themselves. They almost never have external judgment. And as far as like how far down the lifeline, bacteria, insects. I think pets and and loved ones, people. It's that love connection that creates that uh, environment. I think there's always a connection and unity of everything and everyone. And yet, like these insects or cells, don't have consciousness. So you can't have that sharing of consciousness in the afterlife. I, I think that's the answer. Interesting. Hmm. Because I've made friends with ants and little bugs and little things like that. I'm pretty good with that. <laughs> but I I understand what you're saying. And he had some really great questions. It's Dr. Jeffrey Long sticking around with us with Open Lines. Stay with us. Coast to Coast AM. Open Lines on Coast to Coast AM. Connie Willis here along with Dr. Jeffrey Long sticking around. Our leading near-death experience researcher and New York Times best-selling author, His books, God in the Afterlife, The Groundbreaking New Evidence for God and Near-Death Experience, and also Evidence of the Afterlife, The Science of Near-Death Experiences. Uh, Is that, are your books on Amazon? Oh, absolutely. They're available for anybody that would like to purchase them. And you also have your, all your different websites. You can check those out on uh, coasttocoastam.com. Do you also have a YouTube channel or no? No, I don't. I'm I'm a practicing full time physician. Yeah, I'd love you're to too do busy. That, but I just don't have time. But yeah. 
what is your education, your background? Yeah, I'm a medical doctor. So after four years of undergraduate training, you get a college degree and then you go on to medical school and that's another four years. Forever. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And people don't know this, but that's not the end of the line. After you you graduate from medical school, there's residency training to learn your specialty. And that can range from anywhere from three to seven years, uh, even beyond medical school. For me, it was five years more. Mm, And where'd you go? Went to the University of Iowa. So that was my College of Medicine there and also did my residency training in radiation oncology. Amazing. And you know what? You never stop learning. You are constantly learning. And and you're you're learning outside of the box as well. Oh, absolutely. And that's a really good point. You you never really stop learning. Um, The practice of medicine, my medical specialty, radiation oncology, has just changed radically. We're curing more people than was ever possible before when I started my practice decades ago. So exciting and yet challenging to keep up with the leading edge of cancer treatment today. Okay, so you're going to imprint in your mind just in case something happens where you see the light but you're sent back. When you're in that light or whoever's around you, you got to ask, what's the cure? What's the cure? Give me the cure before I head back. That okay. would be, I, I would love it if, I, if that happened. In print, in print. Let's go back to the lines, open lines. Wild card line number four, Ryan out of Van Nuys, California. Hey there, Ryan. You're all, you're on the air. What's up, Connie? You hear me? I do. Such a pleasure. I called once before, and uh, it's strictly just a flirt with you, but I do have a question. Uh <laughs> For you and Dr. Jeff, if I can call him Dr. Jeff, I, I remember that. Um, for Dr. Jeff, uh, with, with NDE, NDEs, near-death experiences, it, uh, have there been any correlation done with uh, uh, the person being intoxicated, uh, drunk, or that? And the reason I, I'm, I'm saying this is because I'm being completely transparent. I've had a couple of drinks tonight, and I, and I presume some of your callers do as well. But uh, in the passenger seat, hitting my uh, head on a windshield, uh, they didn't think I should have survived it. But I kind of remembered the whole thing. I was, I was almost above it, seeing the guys pull me out of the passenger seat. Um, so I was just curious if there's any studies with that. And then let's do it afterwards. I know how this goes. Um, and then, Connie, my question to you is, next time you go Bigfoot hunting, can I come with you? Because I absolutely adore you. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're married. You probably are. But I want to go Bigfoot hunting with you. <laughs> so let me answer mine real quick, and then we'll go to you, Jeff. Uh, mine, if you want to go Bigfooting with me, join my show, Blue Rock Talk. It's a membership show, and that's the kind of thing we do. We live investigate, and we go out there whether – uh, you know, it's it's a live virtual thing, so you can join right there and watch as it happens live. So, Dr. Jeff, <laughs> go ahead with yeah, your answer. I'll, I'll take it away with part two, Ryan. Yeah, hey, you had a near-death experience, it sounds like, with that car yeah. crash and your consciousness over your body. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. That's definitely a, a, an, an out-of-body experience associated with a near-death experience. And you had another thing about, like, intoxication. We've had people that have had near-death experiences as a result of, say, narcotic overdoses, and you can even have a near-death experience occurring while under general anesthesia. And under those mind-affecting drugs, 
you would think that it would affect the near-death experience, but it doesn't. They have the same degree of typically supernormal lucidity that you would have for near-death experiences occurring under all other circumstances. And, you know, all of that's just one more line of evidence that what's described in near-death experience absolutely is not part of physical brain function whatsoever. Ryan, thanks for all the call the, the call and all the questions and uh, that you're still with us. Wildcard line number five, lots of people calling in for you there, Jeff, is John hey. out of Houston. Hey there, John, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, Connie and uh, Dr. Jeffrey? It's an honor Good. to talk to you. Um, thanks. My main question is um, talk about uh, people that, that have taken their lives or uh, friends that have uh, overdosed on drugs. Like, is, like, where, you know, what happens with that, you know? Yeah, sure. There's been a lot of good studies about near-death experiences that occur as a result of suicide. And they have typical near-death experiences. They are generally like all others in terms of content. We're back to that overriding principle of near-death experiences, that being that they're almost always not non-judgmental in terms of judgment from an external being that's, that's present in the near-death experience. So uh, having said that, people that have a near-death experience as a result of a suicide attempt almost never commit suicide again. And that's an, if, for people that have a suicide attempt but don't have a near-death experience, they're much more likely to attempt suicide again. And the reason for that seems to be if they have a near-death experience, they come back increasingly aware that our earthly life, you know, however difficult it is, in fact, so difficult they attempted suicide, that earthly life is really meaningful and significant to the point that they really need to, if you will, gut it out and live it, the life, no matter how difficult it is. And near-death experiencers are aware of that and are much, much less likely to attempt suicide again. Now, Jeff, I've got some people that have, uh, emailed me separately and they've been talking about the bad experiences. Even um, I was talking to you about this before our uh, project Stargate Lynn Buchanan. I always talk about Lynn because he's a friend of mine, but he also just amazed me as a remote viewer for the military for project Stargate. They were given targets or at least he was given targets um, in remote viewing. He's a military guy that would take them him to uh, the targets were of course he doesn't know what the targets are but the targets were a minute before someone died a minute after someone died 12 minutes after someone died three years after someone died two weeks after they died you know and so on they gave different times and he would see what he would see and he saw many different things he said some things were like heaven uh, and it's in his book the seventh sense since um he would that he spoke of people seeing heaven like things, and he also spoke of purgatory. He spoke of just blank, and and I think if I remember properly, somebody was blank and blank and blank, and you know, they kept moving up the the time, weeks, months, blank, blank, blank. Twelve years old, all of a sudden could see, you know, something at twelve, and he had talked about. Uh, that could mean something like, you know, the tribal type things a long time ago and just the celebration of kids 
at 13 or 12 or 13 coming into a new light and a new life, he kind of thought that could have come from there where maybe the soul was thrown in at that point and it was conscious or something aware of life at, at the age of 12 or 13. You might want to really learn a little bit more about that too. I know that would interest you, but he also mentioned something similar to hell. And some people have been writing and asking about that, that they know people that have seen it. And, and, um, uh, I actually know somebody that saw it. He came back and he became a priest. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I know you said you've seen, you, you know about some of that, but you're yeah. just saying it's not as much. Yeah. It, at least in, in, in your studies. My, yeah. In my study. And, and you can understand people would be reluctant to share an especially hellish near-death experience. I think people right. are a lot more inclined to talk about or share on a website, uh, more positive near-death experiences. And and all that you're sharing there, Connie, you know, thanks for sharing that. Very important. It really reminds me that regarding the afterlife, what we don't know far exceeds what we do know. So it's very important to come at that question and understanding from many different approaches, just like what you described there. Uh, I think that's what's going to get us closer to truth is as we look not just at near-death experiences, but from all the other experiences that inform us in a variety of ways about life after death and what that's all about. What we, again, what we don't know exceeds what we do know, but we're certainly on a journey toward understanding. Wildcard line number three, let's talk to Jay out of Indiana. Who's your, hey there, Jay, you're on the air. Hi, Connie. Hi, doctor. Boy, you're the a perfect person to answer this question for me, given the topic and the fact that you're a doctor. I've always wanted to be an organ donor, but I've always hesitated because I don't think we know enough about what happens immediately after death. In other words, and I want to make light of this, this is very important to me, but what if I'm uh, deceased and they begin to remove things from me and I'm going down this tunnel of light and then someone says, it's not yet your time. I got to tell them, (laughs) yeah, but look, you don't understand. They're taking stuff out of me back there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm Jay, sorry that I'm, I'm laughing, but it's kind well, of funny, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I love that. That's a great question. Um, yes. I love this show. You always get questions I hadn't even thought of. But, uh, Jay, I, I'm, I'm an organ donor, Jay, and, you know, I have no concerns about that. When when you're, like, going down the tunnel and said your time's not up, you need to go back, the other side is overwhelmingly vastly more intelligent and aware of the condition of our physical body, you know, even that, that we are, maybe even the doctors. So if you're told it's time to go back, you still have a physical body that will accommodate your consciousness, return of soul to the physical body. So it's really not a problem. I, I encourage everybody to be an organ donor because you're literally, I mean, in, in medicine, I've seen that literally change people's lives, save people's lives. And there's no concern from my perspective about the afterlife or near death, being a near-death experience researcher. Uh, and believe me, they have very strict criteria to make sure you're physically dead and your body's not going to be able to be reanimated before they donate organs. So I would encourage organ donation. And uh, I sure uh, signed up. I love the way he asked that question. That was great. <laughs> That's great. I just, you got to love these questions. Keep it coming, folks. This is great. <laughs> you got to go back. No, wait a minute. They're taking things out of me. I'm not going back. <laughs> Wildcard line number four. Let's talk to Rick out of New Jersey. Hey there, Rick. You're on with Coast to Coast AM. Well, I was 
thinking about this show with souls and life essence and stuff, and uh, I was wondering if, like, uh, Cro-Magnums or Neanderthals or Ithacapicacus man is two million years old, if they had souls and that they're up in heaven in a segregated area or, like, they band to the back of the bus or are you allowed to mix with them? What do you think, you know? What's going on with them, you know? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. You know, humankind evolving from, you know, the substantially yeah. lower life forms to the, the life that we have today. I, I think as best I can tell from near-death experiences, uh, all life, uh, everything and everyone is sort of a part of a connective one in the afterlife, and we're all together. And I think that includes even life forms that were, you know, to use the term, less developed than we are today. So I think you're going to see those Neanderthals, you're going to see those Cro-Magnons, um, uh, and, and I think that's that's a part of, uh, they had souls, I'm quite confident about that, and I'm sure that they had an afterlife too. But hey, Rick, uh, when you're there, when I'm there, we can ask them. See what they say, the <laughs> Neanderthals of the world. Did you all draw those pictures on the caves or did somebody else? What, <laughs> yeah, how, did we'll, you we'll run from dinosaurs? We'll get those burning <laughs> questions answered in the afterlife that are unanswerable in our earthly last fascinating. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I believe that you know all. Once you go over, you don't have any questions. You know, you, you just know. Yeah. Have you have you found that out when people come oh, back? Do they absolutely. say they have a knowing of everything? Okay. Yeah. In in the afterlife, over and over, we hear about what's called a, a universal knowledge. People will have a sense of knowing questions to everything, uh, all the great mysteries, and they can even describe that they're processing, you know, scientific information, awareness, knowledge about things at a vastly greater level than they ever knew on Earth or could handle on Earth. Uh, and, and that's another thing that used to drive me nuts in my early NDE research is people would come back and they, they wouldn't really be able to retain knowledge of those insights, that universal knowledge. And finally, one near-death experiencer educated me and said, hey, it's like trying to put an ocean of knowledge into the teacup that's our human physical brain. It just You just can't hold it all. So that, That's that exactly helps. right. Yeah. I like that. Let me ask you this. When you talk about the experiences people have, you discuss, uh, you know, love and, and, and people that they know and knowledge and all this kind of stuff. Are they, are they seeing cities or, or, or buildings or anything yeah. like that? Or are we just floating well, around or what, what? No, that's a good question. In the, the afterlife, while it can be variably described, the common thing is it's, Got buildings, beautiful, uh, typically beautiful beyond anything on Earth. There may be flowers or colors in the plants that near-death experiencers say it's so beautiful. It could, they're colors that could not exist on Earth. Music also. They may describe music in the afterlife uh, realm that is far beyond any beauty of music that's even earthly possible. So it's, it's uh, and again, their, their consciousness is accelerated. They're processing information, aware of information that would have been far beyond what our physical earthly brains could accommodate. But that's, that's fairly common. It's a fairly common theme in near-death experiences to be in these, again, beautifully, beautiful landscapes, building uh, other people around, analogous to Earth and yet uh, non-physical and certainly quite different in, in a lot of ways in terms of so its beauty. So we're like in a body again, and we recognize the other people because they're in a body again? Yeah, that they, they're they actually recognized as 
Uh, they have a, a again, it's a it's, it's a non-physical realm, and I have to keep coming back. There's there's nothing physical. Movement is non-physical. Communication in the afterlife is almost always like telepathic. It doesn't involve physical communication like talking and listening, uh, and yet the people often appear as a body. I think it's important to realize that many near-death experiencers will share that they, from time to time, will encounter a form, and the form will literally ask them, how would you like for me to appear to you? And so they they can choose how that happens. So I think while you see something that looks like your deceased loved one, I think they're far more than just that form that the near-death experiencer described. They're just seeing a particular manifestation of that soul that's the proper loving way for them to manifest for the near-death experiencer. In order to recognize, hey, Dr. Jeffrey Long, it's time to say goodbye, like real quick. Fantastic show, Connie. What a pleasure. Great questions. Great show. Really appreciate being here. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again, and I know I'll have you on my shows too. Dr. Jeffrey Jeffrey Long, thank you so much for being with us. And, hey, you guys stick around. Another hour of Open Lines on Coast to Coast AM.